Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Kate Prince. And Kate, you are um, a supporter, uh, a fan, a frequent collaborator, um, but a rare voice on the podcast. Nope, I'm just the girl that lives in your house. <laughs> Uh, and we do live in the same house, so we are recording this live in one place, which is weird and different for me. And uh, even when Alice and I record in the same place, uh, it always goes sideways in some way because it's weird to talk to a face and a microphone at the same time for me. Well, luckily we talk a lot. So yeah, that's we can true. Make it, work. it shouldn't be that big of a deal. So. Uh, Kate, you and I are here today to discuss one very special, newly minted happy place for me, and a place that has been a happy place for you for a long time. That's right. We're here to talk about Seattle. So, Buddy and mine's birthdays were earlier this month, and we usually take a trip to celebrate, and the past couple of years it's been Disneyland, because, as you can tell, we're big Disney fans. <laughs> Uh, it's It's been uh, a bit of a tradition, I guess a tradition that is only uh, two times old, um, but for two straight years we went to Disneyland Yes. on our birthdays, or around our birthdays, and now it has been over a year since I've been to Disneyland, and uh, you know how in the beginning of Lord of the Rings, where Bilbo is like, I'm old, like jam spread across too much toast, that's me right now because like I, I feel the call to Disneyland but I cannot answer it. We have plans but <laughs> for our birthdays we kind of decided to look at where we could go and discovered Seattle was within our means and so as Buddy pointed out it was his first time. Um, I five years ago lived on an island just north of Seattle called Whidbey for a summer because I work in theater and I worked for a regional theater there. So I went into Seattle with some frequency, but it had been quite a long time and I never spent more than a few hours there. So this was really exciting because it was like three days living in the city in an Airbnb and just experiencing it. Yeah, and we got to see a lot of Seattle in that time. I wouldn't say we uh, fully experienced the true nature of the city. No. But I would say that we did everything that you can buy on the $99 city pass at Seattle. So, you know, that was like six things, which is like a lot of things. We missed a few things because it was a holiday weekend and some things were closed. But for the most part, we hit a lot of the big tourist attractions, really. I mean, I would love to go back and kind of experience some of the smaller neighborhoods or go to some of the other islands and kind of use Seattle as a home base. But for this first trip, we just kind of wanted to see what there was to see and do all of the famous things. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of months back, Alice and I did a episode of Those Happy Places about being a tourist, mm -hmm. having worked in tourism ourselves, uh, and having that unique perspective, but also loving being a tourist and then also growing up in Los Angeles tourist capital of the universe uh so oh okay you just did a shrug LA's got all the stuff it's not Paris it's not Paris I guess it's not, not 
New Mexico. It's not Mexico. No, but it, it's entertainment capital of the world. Would yeah, you, say? you do. I mean, I've done the touristy stuff in LA. You right. go to the stars. You go to the theaters. It's, you you do the things. Right. So so Seattle going there and just touristing it up was interesting. Having had that conversation, and then over the summer having worked as a tour guide and being kind of like, oh, this is. Wow, I'm really doing that thing that used to be work, but is now what I save up for for leisure. What I think that was interesting is Seattle in particular, the locals we talked to have a fondness for their tourist attractions. Like they, they call the Space Needle the, the, what was it? Spice the Noodle. Spice Noodle. <laughs> but it was definitely, they, they had a fondness for it. And the main thing we really wanted to talk to you guys about was Seattle and themes. Yeah. Seattle is a city with a very strong sense of theming, and it was very interesting. We go to Portland a lot, and Portland has its like very distinct neighborhoods. We live in the Bay, and each city has a very strong sense of self, but Seattle embraced its camp at times. Yeah, like, okay, so, so Portland's theme as a city is weirdness. We were just talking about this, right? Yeah. So Portland is like, we're weird. Look how, um, look how many different tchotchke stores we have. How look wacky. at all the breweries. And <laughs> right, it's weird. It's Portland. You can find any sort of beer there, any sort of coffee. And I mean, we really love some of the neighborhoods and the neighborhoods have a strong sense of identity. But Seattle, Seattle was themed at times, especially, okay, I will say mostly like the big tourist areas that everyone knows were themed, but they weren't like, like LA has themes in its tourist areas, but it's very much like tchotchkes and trying to get the tourists to do tours. Seattle very much like embraced themes. And there were three main themes we saw. Yeah, um, one of them, was retrofuturism, which is a very familiar term for us here because of Tomorrowland existing. And um, one was boats and sea life and gold rush and Which is also very familiar to us being, you know, from San Francisco ish. Yes. Uh, um, and the last one was kinda the classic uh start of the city beginnings area. Yeah, kind of the uh, the new industrialism of of Seattle. Or kind of the old industrialism, but that was being used to inform the new industrialism, and it was a lot. Um, um, it, but that area mostly focuses around Smith Tower. Right, uh, which for, is kind of yeah. down by Pioneer Square. Which was the first skyscraper in Seattle. And they are very proud of that fact. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, it was closed the day we tried to go, but that part of Seattle and various other parts really embraces the fact that it was a major alcohol distribution point in the Prohibition. So at the top of Smith's Tower is a, a Prohibition-themed bar and a walk-around deck. But they, all of the bars kind of in that area had, like, underground Prohibition copper and, you know, Gin and whiskey and moonshine. Yeah, it was weird because I love going to speakeasy bars. Yeah. The ones that are like hidden with big quotes around it. And I know that's like great audio. And you like get a, a password that's on their website. Yeah, and you, you know, you have to make a reservation or like know which door to knock on. I love that. And I didn't see a lot of that in Seattle. It wasn't speakeasy. It was 
it was prohibition, prohibition aesthetics, but it was like it was all on the up and up. You yeah. know, none of that like pretending to be forbidden. It was all like just like in Prohibition days when we would use these stills, and now we use them big and outside. Or, or you know, a lot of whiskey drinks, or else it, it was it was a very interesting aesthetic. But it was definitely something that Seattle had a lot of pride in. Yeah, which was nice. It was really cool to see, and that they embraced this history that they had. Which leads me to the other, like one of the other sections, which was the harbor area. Yeah, kind of the, I guess the maritime and gold rush, the Yukon gold rush, which is different so. than the California gold rush. Uh, history of the area. So that really centers around Pike's Place Market. So we ended up doing a boat tour. So we, backtracking a little bit, there's this wonderful thing called the City Pass. Um, it, a lot of cities have it. Seattle, you get, I think it's like four or five different options. And it's like $100. Most of these attractions are 30 to 40 bucks each so you do save some money yeah and and here in san francisco we have a city pass and it's more expensive than that and not as i don't know this city pass felt so right like so well paced and such a good variety and, what was and really, at exactly 99 dollars, right well it was a little cheaper if you had kids and what was really cool is there was a good mix of outdoor indoor activities kids versus adults things everyone would enjoy but you, so you got three things guaranteed. You got the Space Needle, you got Spice a Noodle, boat, boat tour, uh, boat noodle, and mm. <laughs> you got access to the aquarium and the aquarium. Then you could pick between Chihuly Gardens or the Science Museum or the zoo and the pop museum. And we'll go into what we picked later. But we took this boat tour, and they talked a lot about the history of the harbor area, and specifically Pike's Place Market. So when the Alaskan gold rush hit, you to get into Canada, you had to have a year's worth of supplies. This was down to a bunch of starving, frozen gold rushers that did not have supplies that Canada could not give them. So they had to bring their year's worth of supplies with them across the border. And finally, the video game computer program, the Yukon Trail, another exciting product from Mech, makes sense if you've ever played that because, oh my gosh, getting to the Canadian border and not being able to cross was like a run killer every time. And I could imagine that it was a run killer for a lot of actual prospectors. But Seattle had a big problem of getting all of the vendors together, all the farmers and all the tool makers, and so they created a market. And if you actually go to Pike's Place Market today, there are plaques from some of the original vendors that they're, you know, so many generations later, children are running still. It's it's a big sense of history. It's It went from wagons to this covered building that's now six stories because it's on a hill. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, Pike's Place Market is one of those magical places that is um, turned in on itself 500 times. Yeah. Uh, in a way that makes it feel bigger on the inside than it looks on the outside. Uh, and that feels like there's something new around every corner. And also, like, it feels wrong in some ways. Like, it just, like, shouldn't be somewhere. Yeah, it, it feels like... I mean, we, we live in San Francisco where there is a strong building code because of earthquakes. And I mean, <laughs> Seattle has earthquakes too. They are on fault lines as well. 
but it feels like one good shake and this whole thing will come down around your ears. Yeah. But it's got amazing food and drinks and, you know, when I was living on Whidbey Island, we would come shop at Pike's Place and get fresh fish and vegetables and then go home and cook. There's fresh pasta. There's all sorts of restaurants. And the cool thing about, like, the restaurants is, like, the kitchen will be on one floor where you enter and find your seat is on another. And then the actual, like, dining hall is on a third. Yeah. And they kind of stick out from the market. Like, they're not flush with the wall. So if you're looking at the market from far away, you'll see these, like, pods with people eating in them. And it's really fun. Yeah, again, another one of those things that looks like it, it can't be, like, that it's impossible or something like that. And but yet... It, yeah, it definitely has a strong sense, though. And then underneath it is the harbor area. It's all the piers. The Great Wheel of Seattle is there. Which we did ride. We did ride. It was amazing. We went right at sunset. It was stunningly beautiful. It, that was... that was. There are two main attractions on that pier, yeah. right? The the one is the Great Wheel, which we did do at, what was it, $12 a person? Something like that, yeah. And the other one is Wings Over Washington, which I've heard good things about. But it was $17 a person, so we took a pass this time. Like, that's just a lot of money for what I hear is basing, basically a clone of Soren over California, but, but Washington. Washington. And also a little bit newer, so interestingly not kind of updated in that way. But, like, I don't know. I, I You know, and I, the, the weirdest thing was we heard locals talking about it as a great thing to do. And I think if we go back, it might be something we try, since we won't be doing as many of the tourist attractions. Right. But The wheel was great, though. The cool thing, too, is, like, it's in this old wooden building and Another one on of those pier. weird buildings that just, like, felt bigger on the inside. inside yeah. It was all shops and restaurants and just kind of twisted in on itself. And we got oyster shooters there which was a mistake i think it was great um but definitely that area like is very harbor and maritime themed it's all these seafood restaurants where you get you know mussels caught that day that they steam for you and that was a really interesting thing because we have that in san francisco but this one definitely had a unique Seattle Pacific Northwest feel to it, which we really enjoy. Yeah, it was a little bit more lumberjack chic, I guess. <laughs> which is weird because we we've had our lumberjacks here in California once but once in a the while. The Pacific Northwest with their flannel and their, <laughs> it, but like it was all about the gold rush and the prospectors, and so it felt familiar but different to us yeah. being from San Francisco. Right. So that le- leads us to the third. The retrofuturism. Right, and the, and the kind of googie 1960s architecture, because of course, part of Seattle is stuck in 1962 permanently, because that's when they were hosting the World's Fair. Yes, and they there was a lot of attraction from the World's Fair that still exists today, but the big, everything is mostly located in Seattle Park. Right. Which was built for the World's Fair, and what's kind of happened is everything around it has that feel like we went to like this old school 60s diner with the black and white tiles and the bar and the low lights that was serving like good comfort food yeah. like it and but next... it, was, it was still a little bit punk rock in there like a, a lot of stickers and a lot of uh, uh just like oh soy rizzo being yeah. on the menu it just felt kind of like oh yeah it's it's old but old 
the good stuff from old with the good stuff from, from new. Now. Yeah. A lot of neon, though, and neon signs. For sure. Uh, the color scheme was a lot of this mint and burnt orange, which... It's a uh, gal- galactic gold, actually, Kate, and uh, it is the official color of the spice noodle. That is fair, and <laughs> a lot of the the like even our Airbnb, which was in the Queen Anne district, which is adjacent to Seattle Park, you know, all of the uh, appliances were that mint kind of like sixty shape. It's one of my favorite colors, mint. Yes, you know, <laughs> we we have a lot of mint in our home. Um, but it was that mint and galactic gold and that retro feel. It was very, like, even our Airbnb was themed. Right. And, and the, the spice noodle is a, an amazing piece of architecture when you're standing under it, when you're in it, it just, like, screams, like, space race and... Going up. <laughs> and the future is now. And, you know, when they when they start the elevator up, they say, like, lift off, right? I mean, you're going 10 miles an hour. Oh, so fast. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that when you're up there, it is one of the most amazing views. And I could imagine in the 60s when the highest you got might be an airplane... That it, it just took your breath away. It you was really felt great. like you were on the top of the world and, and you could do anything. And back then, it was the highest building yes. in the city. Uh, and the uh, one of the decks was a rotating restaurant, which is now really cool. It just opened recently, a rotating glass floor walk around. It was. Honestly, it was a little absurd how hard it was to step onto the glass floor at first. Yeah, you're looking down and you're looking a long way down well, under your the, feet. Because the, the noodle is concave, right? It, it has curved legs almost that go under it. It's, a, it's that kind of like 60s homage to Art Deco where it wasn't any straight, real straight lines. And you can see that there's some arches that are left over from the World's Fair that look like Art Deco lattice work. That are still very 60s, but also pay that homage to the olden days that the 60s kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that the Space Needle, it's concave, it curves up, it screams what we now come to think of as the 60s. Right. And, and specifically the optimistic future that the 60s was trying to put out there. And I mean, I will point out that there uh, the, there was a part of it, when you walk up, it has the history of the building and the cultural impact of the Space Needle. And it talks about the Jetsons yeah. and how the Jetsons has a lo- drew a lot of inspiration from that World's Fair specifically. In the future, we will all live on Spice Noodles. <laughs> I'm here for it. The I am too. was amazing. Uh, and I... Yeah, so so there was a lot going on there. And, and as we were saying, like, recently refurbished, recently reopened. So a lot of the interior of the Space Needle was um, in, like, white plastic and kind of that that aesthetic, kind One of space-agey. One thing I do appreciate is the outdoor walk-around area. They just recently replaced the metal kind of chain-link fence with clear glass. It was very pretty. It was stunning. It started to rain when we were out there and just like seeing the rain starting to hit the glass and then uh, just walking around yeah. in that. It was you very can, cool. You can see a photo that I took of the Happy Places, those Happy Places pin from the top. 
and it's just amazing. Yes. Um, but the cool thing is, is that's just one attraction in Seattle Park. That's true. There's, and this this made us really feel like we were at Disneyland. <laughs> There's a monorail. A monorail? The Seattle monorail. Uh, Kate, I know two things about the Seattle monorail. Uh, one, it is exactly one mile long. And two, uh, it was originally a modular construction, meaning that they just kind of brought in Lego pieces, essentially, made of concrete, and stuck them together, and they were like, this will work for a year while the World's Fair is here. Yeah. And then they left it there, and now it's a bit of a nightmare to maintain, and not exactly useful as a transit option for anyone. It helps tourists. It's but it does help tourists, and Seattle. it's really cool. It's so, so originally its purpose was to take people from the downtown area to the World's Fair attractions in Seattle Park. Initially, it traveled 60 miles an hour. Over the course of one mile. So it would do that trip in a minute. Now it does 30 miles an hour in two minutes. So yay, it's it's such a short trip. But the inside is so cool. It's very well maintained. They've got a blue one and a red one. And it's open and you can see out the way. It's one of those things where like, we took it a couple of times and it just, it was silly because it was only a mile and we could have walked, but it just was so amazing. I, I loved it. Yes, it was really cool. The windows go all the way around the top corners. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, not... It's controlled by a lever. Uh, no, it's a it's a joystick. It's a joystick <laughs> with a big red button to stop. <laughs> and it, and you've got to you've got to honk the horn as you come into the station. And the cool part is uh, that if the monorail arrives on the track that's farther away from the station, little bridges come out to meet it. So like I don't know, it just feels like the future. Kinda, you know, it just feels nice. I mean, we have public, we have Bartier, which is not a monorail, but still it's like the, that high speed rail. Yeah. And it doesn't feel, it doesn't have that like future feeling to it. It's really crowded. It's really dirty. This, it's like that silver and white with the bright color of the 60s that yeah. it defined a lot of their aesthetic. It looked like a diner, you know, like one yeah. of those classic diners with the chrome. Yes. And the, the, uh, vinyl seats yes. and it felt clean and bright and I and that might have been because literally it is not a good transit yes. option <laughs> if it was longer it would have been like yeah. if it went around the city that would have been amazing yeah but so those are the two main attraction from the world's fair besides the arches that are still there there were the sky gondolas which uh, again a, a Disneyland thing too yes so so it seems like the needle and its adjacent gift shop, <laughs> the uh, monorail, and then seeing like the remnants of these other things in this big, beautifully manicured park with all the these attractions around. I was like, oh, this is basically Disneyland. You know what? Also, I just thought of this. What also made it feel like Disneyland is when you were in each attraction. It's not that you couldn't see the other ones. But it felt very, you were in that attraction, that aesthetic Disney tried to get where, you know, each land has yeah. its own feel. Yeah, you cross into it and then it would it be there. Yeah. So the other things that are in the Seattle park that we did are the Chihuly Gardens. We didn't get to the Science Museum, unfortunately, and the Pop Museum. And there's also like a theater that the ballet operates out of. 
uh, soccer field, there's other stuff, but in the immediate area around the Space Needle are those three exhibits. And we, so we did Chihuly and we did the Pot Museum. And each one of those actually had its own sense of theming too that still kind of fit into the retrofuturism a little bit. Yeah, Chihuly is much more uh, fantastical um, and yeah. and kind of, uh, I don't know how to put it, like, like, uh, church-like. Yeah, it, it's almost, it's almost a, a spiritual experience. You, Especially, yeah. You walk through, and as the exhibits kind of present themselves, it, uh, the, the awe and wonder that you feel of all of this wonderful, colorful, blown glass in its natural habitat being beautifully lit and presented. Well, one thing, cool thing they did is, uh, especially any of the exhibits that rested on the ground, underneath it was... I can't tell if it was black glass or because everything in the room was black, that it reflected yeah. as black. So, like, if you don't know what Chihuly is, it's this amazing glass artist who really revolutionized the use of color and shape to make these beautiful glass installations. I mean, some of them are over 15 feet tall. Essentially, the roof couldn't support his chandelier, so he said, great, I'm going to build a chandelier from the floor till I hit the roof. It was, I mean, just just stunning all around, but the, the piece de resistance uh, so is, is this uh, glass cathedral. cathedral. He was obsessed with glass buildings, like the um, Crystal Palace from the London World's Fair and all this other stuff. And so he built, it's like... I think the cathedral is or his glass building. It's just on, or just over 100 feet with this glass floral helix that is about 100 feet long. And you just walk in and the world just stops. It was, it was incredible. And outside of that part of the museum is a garden. Because it's called the Chihuly Gardens. And it's this amazing space where they've designed this walkthrough garden where the plants and the glass kind of exist as one. The the part of it that kind of moved both of us hmm. was a fallen log that had these purple glass shoots growing up out of it, like hmm. the new life growing out of death. Right, and the way that the almost magic looking glass was just erupting from this dead log basically yeah there's a you have a photo of it on your twitter i think so um but it just it it was amazing and so that had a i didn't i wouldn't say if that almost had a theme as it just had really good design very good art and at one point in the gardens and in the cathedral you can look up and see the noodle <laughs> there's yeah we have some really great shots of looking up through this like glass building to see the Space Needle. And it was raining, and it was a very Seattle moment. We found out Seattle's not very rainy, actually. It's, But it is the second cloudiest city in so the world. So it's cloudy as heck, and it's misty quite often. Yeah. But they don't get a lot of, like, solid inches of rainfall. It's an interesting thing, because I always thought of Seattle as very rainy. It's just, it just it, it's a lot of really light rain. Yeah. Um... So the other thing we did in the Seattle park, and this was one that I insisted we go to. That's true. Was the Museum of Pop Culture. Or Mopop. <laughs> so Mopop combines, you know, movie and TV and book pop culture with music. 
And we mostly focused on the sci-fi fantasy book TV, because that's really us. And we did some music. Yeah. But what's really cool about this museum is it's not just like, here's all this stuff we've collected from film sets. It's so heavily themed. Yeah, it really is. Like, walking into the sci-fi exhibit is walking onto the bridge of a spaceship. That has been touring the galaxy for years collecting humans in in space with quotes which you can see (laughs) but it's got you know there's stuff from star wars and blade runner to like dune original sci-fi books from the 50s and 60s where like retro futurism was defined yeah and what's really cool is they don't just present all of this stuff to you they also like, instead of grouping necessarily, like, by movie, sometimes they had it grouped by, like, Mars or location. And talked about kind of why we focus on certain themes in sci-fi and our relation to and to these foreign places and how humans interact there and with aliens. Yeah, like, the, the Mars part, like, kind of starts with War of the Worlds and H.G. Wells and how, like... Invaders from Mars as a theme started out, and then... Why did we pick Mars to be this planet where invaders and these horrible creatures come from that are going to wipe us out? Right, and then it brings you forward to, like, Mars Attacks, where the Martians die by country music, and kind of the turning of that on its head. Um, It's really cool. And and so is the horror one, which is in a spooky... I don't know. Spooky zone. It's in the spooky zone. There's there's no true, like, jump scares that are, that are going to come out and scare you, but it definitely, it, it, it examines why we like to be scared and why people, like, fear and want to put themselves in that situation while showing you really cool things, like the axe from The Shining or a uh, xenomorph from Alien. Yeah. Uh, They they literally had the full-on xenomorph. Like, how cool is that? And not just a model, like, That is the xenomorph. Yeah. (laughs) It's so cool. It's really cool. And then the the last one we really want to talk about is the fantasy one. Right. And that one is a, uh, a walkthrough of, like, a... Fantasy mystical realm. realm yeah and, and there's there's a giant silver tree and, and a dragonfly whose ooh. eyes you can see and a dragon that is asleep and like might wake up any second very My favorite spooky was the invisibility cloak oh yeah the invisible the invisibility cloak was on display and uh couldn't see it couldn't see it, it but was it, invisible. it was there i believe um but the coolest thing that was there for me was they had ramirez's outfit and sword from highlander and that was really cool they also had the cowardly lion it's just they had the, the lion, lion. But what was really cool about that one is is it broke down archetypes in fantasy, and whenever you were looking at a different archetype, it talked about, or a different item, it talked about the archetype it belonged to. Yeah, it and was really cool. And there were some that we kind of like... Well, there's room for discussion about all of the categories, for yeah. sure. Um, the categories, are like the 16 categories were very well defined, but there were some of them that we were like, oh, well, this could be one, this could be another. But that character's not really roguish. What are you talking about? But what was really cool is it got us discussing it. Yeah, and I think I think the interesting thing about Mopop is the way that it can be an entry point to larger, more complicated discussions through this lens of 
you know, here's all the stuff you know about, or maybe you haven't found out about yet, but stuff that's important. Yeah. And here are artifacts from that, and here's why they're important, or what they mean. And the sci-fi and fantasy exhibits especially not only take pains to transport you to another world to give you that, like, context, but also to do a light dusting of theory that could very easily kick off a love of studying popular culture, which, as you know, is, like, my thing. So it was a really cool experience for me. And, I mean, there were some exhibits we didn't go to. We're not... Like, they have a a Jimi Hendrix exhibit, Pearl Jam, while we're fans of the music. It's not super our thing. I don't know anything about Pearl Jam except Even Flow, and that is one song... (laughs) But so. they also have really cool, like, guest exhibits. Like, they had a Minecraft one. Well, that one cost extra. So we didn't do it. I wasn't going to pay extra to go see Minecraft stuff. But when I was there five years ago, uh, they had the touring Star Wars costume exhibit. And so they just, they host all this kind of stuff. And what's really great is we saw kids from the age of two to adults, like, in their 80s. Like, there's something for everybody. You can walk in. You can think you can explore um i have to imagine that the science museum is the same because it's part of this this group of exhibits where you get to just learn and think about your thought patterns and still be like the building was like really cool too yeah the building itself like is another one of those fold in on itself weird experiments where it's also like pink and blue and like the pearl jam exhibit we we walked towards it it was like in an atrium almost and that's where the star wars exhibit was and the main floor there's kind of like a viewing area the main floor was all of padme's costumes because padme's like the only one who really changes clothes more than twice uh you mean her grandson uh ben solo who wears one sweater for three movies you don't say it probably smells pretty bad um And then, like, upstairs, they had a lot of the original trilogy costumes. Uh, They had a Yoda puppet. But, like, they're really good at getting the most out of their space. I agree. So. Oh, we forgot about Sky Church. Oh, they have this giant screen where they play, like, concerts and music videos. And it's so larger than life. It, It literally stretches into the sky. It feels, it does feel like a a temple to music and creativity yeah it's this this beautiful cathedral of popular music yeah something i realized is that the three attractions we went to in seattle park each had like almost a cathedral like quality to them yeah the spice noodle with all of its glass and concrete and and stretching towards the sky like it would feel like if you were at the top of notre dame oh i mean it certainly feels like three Notre Dame stacked on top of each other. <laughs> but, like, that feeling of being up and looking up at the sky and the the surrounding area. And and then you had Chahuli, which was this, like, temple to art and beauty and creativity and color. And then you had the Pop Museum, which was really this temple to human creativity. Yeah. And what we do and the stories we tell. So, like, it... They are tourist attractions, like we said at the beginning. They are definitely geared towards people coming in. and The locals that we talked to were like, yeah, I lived here my whole life. I've never been to the Pop Museum. But 
It definitely, like, and I think both of us told them, like, you need to go. Yeah, it's actually really great. But we had to say the word actually, because from the outside, it does just kind of sound like, oh, you know, who's that for? Not not me. I live here. Yeah, I, I would definitely say if you are listening and you are in the Seattle area, it's worth going. It's you worth it. Get an experience. I mean, it, it also made me want to, even though it's more expensive, get the city pass in San Francisco and see what stories there is to tell around here. I'm hesitant to do that. You're been, a tour guide. I've been to a lot of them. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a lot of them, too. Yeah. I mean, I unlike you, I grew up in the Bay Area. Yeah. I'm, I was born in Oakland. I Besides the four years I spent in college and, like, the month I, or three months I spent in the Seattle area, I've always lived here. Yeah. So it's definitely worth the trip. Seattle is an amazing city. I I can't wait to go back. I agree. I think that my rating of Seattle is five spice noodles out of five. Uh, And what would your rating be? Mine would be five out of five. As well? As well. There's... What if it were out of ten? Would it be a nine? Be an eight. It would be... That's a four out of five, Kate. (laughs) I mean, I a think, nine out of five. I mean, I definitely think next time also using Seattle as like a springboard to go to Bainbridge Island and up to Whidbey. And- yeah, uh, the the thing more than anything leaving Seattle that I was interested in seeing more of was the geography of the Puget Sound. Yeah, and, and kind of the the little things there that were worth seeing. And I you want. didn't get to go on a ferry. I did not get to ride the ferry, and it's one of my greatest shames and Many disappointments fairies. in lives. Yes, I want to ride all the ferries. Um, we will definitely do the Mukilteo one. But it it was definitely a fun trip. If you can't get to Seattle, there's so much to see. The food is off the chain. It's so good. I would say more than off the chain, it's out of the net. Um, because it's all seafood. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but it, it's a great city. I mean... San Francisco has Brown Bakery, which, like, has really good clam chowder. Pike's Place Chowder is number one in the world clam chowder. Okay, Kate, so I'm, I'm about to give you and all of our listeners a, uh, a free tip from a San Francisco tour guide. And that is, don't get the clam chowder in San Francisco. We don't catch clams in San Francisco. There are no clams here. We didn't invent clam chowder. It's not a classic San Francisco treat. Get a bread bowl. We invented the Sa- the the, Sa- the San Francisco sourdough bread. Sure. But we didn't invent chowder. Buddy, <laughs> why are you giving me this tip when I worked in downtown San Francisco longer than you did? Uh, well, listeners, it sounds like our uh, conversation about Seattle and its theming and its wonderful attractions has come to an end. But the conversation does continue online. Thank you for giving a listen. Yeah. Uh, always reach out to me at Buddy underscore Duquesne on Twitter. And Kate, you can be reached at... Uh, Kate Prince THP. For those happy places. Yeah. If you see the rose gold mini ears, that's me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're already on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash those happy places. Um, and, oh, I should tell everybody about the music. Uh, our theme music for those happy places is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Elvin. You can find that at www.californiafeetwarmers.com and all of the rest of the music I'm going to add to this 
it went from a mini-sode to a major-sode uh, is by Kevin McLeod. You can find all of Kevin's music at Incompetech.com. It is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 license. Thank you, Kevin, for all of your great Creative Commons contributions. Kate, thank you so much for doing this episode with me. Well, thank you for actually letting me ramble for a bit. <laughs> well, that's, uh, you know, honestly, rambling is part of what makes Those Happy Places a special show. So. And what the listeners don't often get to hear is our rambling off the mic that kind of helps when you guys record. That's true. We have many conversations that help me organize my thoughts. And Alice thinks that I'm smarter than I am because I arrive with the results of those conversations, kind of the distilled smart points. So, uh, Kate, I owe you a debt of gratitude uh, for making me seem smart in front of my friends. So thank you for that. At least I could do. <laughs> and to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy, happy places. places. Uh, you just jumped in on, on that outro? <laughs> I did. <laughs>